Welcome to Made New, a weekly Bible study held at Bread of Life Church of Fresno, where we look at what it is to become a new creation in Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Join us as we begin this series on the subject of belief, and most importantly for tonight's study, what does it mean to be dependent upon God? The Bible clearly instructs us that God is the source for all things in our lives and that our trust must be in Him above all else. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5-6 through six say this, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. This verse of Scripture describes what it is to be dependent upon God in the most simplest terms. When the Scripture says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, it means all that is within you. And to not lean on your own human understanding is a hard temptation to resist. Oftentimes, all we have had is human understanding. How is it that when we transfer our heart to God, we also transfer our mind to God and our understanding to Him? How do you do that? You learn His Word, and you learn that God's ways are higher than your ways. And when we understand that, we begin to submit to Him in faith and become dependent like a child depending upon their father. It's a beautiful thing. He says that we should acknowledge Him in all things in order for Him to direct our path. How would you like your path to be directed by God instead of your own limited understanding? The Bible says when we do that, He promises that our path will be straight and not crooked, having lots of time wasted on worthless pursuits. This is what it means to be dependent upon God. Let's take a look at some foundational verses in the Word of God to examine this further. Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, in verse 1, I shall not want. Isn't that amazing passage of Scripture written by the psalmist David, who wanted to tell the whole world that God had become so divinely powerful in his life that he trusted him with everything to the point that he felt like he would never be in want or be in need in such a way that God could not provide. God had truly become his shepherd. Psalm 73 says this in verse 26, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He understood that there may be times when his humanity was tired or worn to the end, perhaps he was facing illness or just plain exhausted. And yet he realized even in his moments where his own human ability reached the end of its power to deliver him or to provide for him, he felt like God had something for him in strength beyond what he could muster in his own ability. He felt like God's strength was greater than his own and therefore ultimately his reward and his portion did not come from man or were not the reward of his own power or his own diligence, but they were the provision of God given to him as God's child. The psalmist goes on to say this in chapter 121, verse 1 through 8. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. 
The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and evermore. This is a powerful psalm describing how God kept the nation of Israel. As his people, they believed in him with a confidence that he was awake 24 hours a day, always on watch, always on guard, looking out for them to provide for them, to lead them and to guide them and to keep them free from harm. Does that mean we won't face times of trial in life? No, but when we do, God will be there to help us. That is a powerful verse to memorize as we are learning to become dependent upon God. Jesus said in the New Testament book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 25, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life, as to what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor your body, as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field, he says. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He concludes in verse 34 by saying this, So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. As Jesus was standing on the mountain that day, giving the Sermon on the Mount, he was laying down the New Testament belief that agreed with the Old Testament scripture, that we should not be anxious for life, but we should be dependent upon God for our life, knowing that he is looking out for us in ways we can't even comprehend. He knows what we need before we ask. He says, so why are you worried about that? He took care of the animal kingdom. He takes care of the plant kingdom. He even looked after kings in their palaces. Surely he can take care of you. He tells us not to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be fine, just like today is going to be fine. Your job and my job is to seek first his kingdom and the righteousness of that kingdom, being preoccupied with that, knowing that he will take care of the rest. God will lead us in this life and teach us how much we can truly be dependent upon him. We want to look at four points of study tonight on what it is to be dependent upon God. The first one is titled, God is our source. Here in the notes we read, the fundamental belief that God is the primary source of care and provision is a foundational and guiding philosophy of Christian faith. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says this, My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And verse 20 says this, Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This passage of scripture was written by the Apostle Paul, who was a man that had been sent by God to preach the gospel and to take on a great life of missionary journeys. These words are not written by a 21st century person living in a first world experience, asking God to supply all their comforts and the things that give them pleasure. 
This scripture has much more depth than that coming from a man that had given his whole life to preaching the gospel and seeing the lost one to Jesus Christ. The amount of resistance that message took on, the battles that he faced, and the trials that he endured to preach the gospel were nothing less than extraordinary. And yet God delivered him and brought him all the way to the end till he glorified God finally in his martyrdom. He knew that God was going to be his source and provide for his needs while he dedicated his life to the kingdom of God. Paul's mission was into the kingdom. God's job was to provide. It was that simple. He was giving this verse as a reference point for the church at Philippi, who had become very dear to his heart and deeply connected to the apostle as he did his missionary endeavors. He was saying to them, as we live this together and make God our priority and make the preaching of the gospel our first cause, God will be sure to supply us while we go about that. Without this understanding, we will make poor decisions as we seek to solve our own problems, often making them worse. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3-10, through 10, the Apostle Paul was writing the young pastor he had left in charge of the church at Ephesus, which he had started. He says here in verse 3, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with a doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and depraved of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many griefs. Paul is talking to Timothy here along the lines of dependency. He is saying to him that sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ and a biblical doctrine that is godly does not seek to love money and to pursue riches foolishly thinking that they are going to be a provision that God is going to bless. God asks us to love Him first, to not love money first. Whenever we love money and love pursuing money more than we love God and depending upon God, He says this, that the conceit of that will run us into ruin time and time again. He says those who want to get rich and depend upon themselves instead of God will be snared by that desire, and foolish and harmful desires that live in them will plunge them into ruin and destruction. He says it even has the ability to cause people to leave the faith because they have moved their dependency from God to themselves out of their desire to love money. This is a terrible trap to fall into, and yet it is constantly pulling on us at all times. There is always a desire to have more, get more, find more, and if we are not careful, we will love that and even justify doing it, thinking God has blessed us, only to be found that we are actually pursuing our own dreams, our own ideas, apart from loving God, and wind up in a place having wandered away from the faith, even potentially ending up in destruction. Point number two says, we learn his promises in his word. 
God's word teaches us that his promises define our lives and his laws govern our existence. To learn them is to be blessed. To be ignorant of them is at our peril. There is this very famous Old Testament passage of scripture found in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28. Here, the prophet Moses is giving instruction to the nation of Israel, basically explaining to them what God has told him to tell them about the covenant he is making with them and how that covenant is going to be lived out. It is basically a chapter of the Bible describing blessings and cursings. The rules of the game to the covenant are this. If you love God, you worship God and make him your first priority, depend upon him and to love him out of a pure heart, he will bless you and be the one that provides for you, looks after you, and cares for you. He says things like this in verse 3 of that chapter. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall your offspring be of your body, and the produce of your ground, and the offspring of your beasts, the increase of your herd, and of your young flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. Aren't those amazing words? He's talking about the blessing of God's provision upon a nation who had entered into covenant with him to depend upon him. Also, he talks about the consequences of disobedience when they don't make God their priority and depend upon him. All of those blessings we just read, they become curses when the people of Israel refuse to make God their priority and refuse to depend upon him and instead going after other gods, false idols, and becoming their own source of provision, not wanting to observe his law anymore. He says in verse 15, But it shall come about, if you do not obey the Lord your God, to observe to do all of his commandments and statutes, which I charge you today, that all of these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Instead of blessed, they shall be cursed. Verse 16 says, Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall your basket be and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground, the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. What happened that they would become cursed? They would reject God as their God. They would reject his covenants and they would disobey his laws, thinking that they were just fine being their own providers, no longer being dependent upon him becoming disobedient to him and breaking covenant with him. Things have not changed. The New Testament God is no different than the Old Testament God. We have the same God in the New Testament as we do that was speaking through Moses that day to the nation of Israel. Do you want to be blessed? Obey God and make him your first priority and depend upon him and do not let disobedience take you away from dependency. Do we want to be cursed? disobey God and depend upon ourselves and become independent and disobey his laws. I don't think any of us want to be cursed. I don't think any of us want to be rejected by God or live outside of his promises. No, we want to be blessed living in the benefits of his covenant as we make him our first priority and we depend upon him, even causing us to be diligently obedient. Point number three, Taking God's words into the heart is the process of discipleship. The Bible instructs us to move away from worldly thinking that establishes self and its appetites as the center of provision. If self is always in charge first as a principle, then self takes the place of lordship in our lives. The book of James chapter 5 verses 13 through 16 say this, Come now, you who say, 
today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. When our selfish desires and appetites drive us to become our own provider, it usually is connected to our arrogance and vanity. How many times have you met someone who wanted to make more money or have better opportunities, found an opportunity in another city or another place, and ran off to pursue that without first stopping to think about what they were doing being biblical or being something that they should pray about or even seek godly counsel over? I have known so many people in my life who one day woke up and felt like they had some great opportunity and ran off to some other state or city and refused to even pray about it or ask the Word of God if what they were doing was right. And when I brought it up to them, they said, You're being controlling. No one will manipulate me. I am my own man or I am my own woman. True, of course they were. No one was trying to make their decisions for them. But had they stopped and considered for a moment that their life is a vapor and that they are not that in charge, they are not God and they do not see the beginning to the end and understand the bigger picture— We should not be arrogant, but we should rather be humble and say, Lord, I feel like this could be something that's good, but I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to ask you to lead me and to guide me. I'm going to look at your word and see that what I'm doing is biblical in principle. And I'm even going to go as a disciple to more mature believers in my life, leaders and pastors, to ask them to pray with me so that I don't make a mistake. Because the person who knows what they should do which is believe God and trust his word and does not do it, they're sinning. It's that clear. We need to be dependent children upon God and obedient to the Lord, trusting in him first and not making our own selves God in our lives and being our own Lord by being our own source of counsel. Jesus had something to say about this. In the book of Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he said, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. There is a lie in the earth that says, I can serve God and do anything I want in the pursuit of wealth, even if it means disobeying God's laws or walking around the truth of the scripture as though it didn't apply to me. We may believe that, but it will never work out well. We will end up messed up and in a wrong place wondering what happened to our kids, what happened to our families, while we pursued wealth and treasures instead of depending upon God. May we really learn to say, the will of the Lord be done, and not let money say, the will of self be done, making your own heart your own God. Point number four, walking in the truth of God as our source reveals our faith. When we work through trusting God as our source, our faith is developed and perfected in the process. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God 
through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. This is a powerful passage of scripture that describes the process of God perfecting our faith to learn how to depend upon him. He says here, through our born-again life, we have been protected by the power of God and that a salvation is being built in us that will be revealed all the way to the end. He says to make that happen, it is necessary that there be times in life we face various trials. These trials are not meant to distress you or to put you down or make you sad. They are allowed in life to test you like fire so that the faith that lives in you is a genuine faith worth more than gold and silver, worth more than money. Why is this important? God as our Father is going to teach us dependency. He is going to teach us to trust Him. He is going to show us, even through times that are interesting from our perspective, they were fully provided from his perspective, and that he had not failed us or let us down, but he was going to see us through so that we would have on the other side of a test, a thing called a testimony. Everyone has to have a testimony of God's provision to trust him for bigger things that he will do in their lives. That bigger thing he will do in your life is what's in this next statement. When God's people face the same manner of trial as the rest of humanity and remain secure and steadfast, The world watches and learns by our faith. They see what being dependent upon God looks like. Peter picks this discourse up in the next chapter, in verse 11, when he says this, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, They may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. This passage basically says, as God has already worked dependence out in your own faith and in your own heart, it puts you in a place to put that in demonstration in front of non-believers so that when they watch you live a life that's at peace, secure, safe in God, knowing He is your shepherd, knowing there's no reason to be anxious, knowing that we do not have to pursue the love of money, knowing that we do not have to put our faith in the treasure of riches, knowing that we do not have to love God and money at the same time, we can be loyal to God alone and see Him provide for us. It is a testimony to the unbeliever that your God is real to make them want to ask questions. We need to show the world that Jesus really is the Son of God and that we can depend upon God and His Word and put our confidence in Him without being afraid. To conclude this week's teaching, let's take a look at the four questions we have at the end of the study guide. Question number one asks, How has God worked in your life to teach you that He is your source? Think about that. When have there been moments where you had no other option but to depend upon God and to trust Him to be the one that comes through. When you ran out of ability to do anything in your own power 
and all you had left was God or nothing. And yet God came through and proved himself in your life and how you were relieved on the other end of that trial, but also giving great praise to God. We must have these stories in our lives to authenticate our faith and to tell others what God can do for them. The next question asks this, What scriptures do you cherish that he has used to minister this truth to you? The psalmist said in chapter 119 that he had hidden God's word in his heart, that he would not sin against him. Somehow God's power and his spirit raises the scripture up in our own hearts that we have read and tucked away. They speak to us in moments of trial, moments of difficulty, moments where we have to depend upon God and resist the temptation to act in our own power. Have you ever been tempted to operate and to step out in fear and the Spirit of God caused the Scripture to come to you and say, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge me in all ways. I'll make your path straight, son. My daughter, be at peace. These Scriptures begin to raise up in our spirit and cause us to become settled. We need to know the Word of God. The third question asks this, How different does your life look now from what it looked like before you knew Jesus? When I didn't know God, I depended on nothing but myself and constantly ran into dead ends and trials and trouble. After giving my life to Jesus and learning to depend upon Him, little by little, I begin to see God add things to my life and lead me in places that I never would have discovered had I not known Him and known how to depend upon Him. This last question asks, How has learning dependency upon God helped to share Jesus with others? I'd just like to make a few comments about this last question. When we come to Jesus, it's not just you being saved that matters to God. It's you going out and reaching others to be saved also that matters to God. When I first gave my life to Jesus, he made it very clear that while it was good that I was a Christian, he intended many more people to become Christians, and I was going to have to depend upon him to become a witness for the gospel. There were so many times I would be somewhere and the Lord would point someone out to me in a crowd or nearby in a line or at the gas station and say, right now you need to go tell that person about me. You need to go pray for them. And I'd say, Lord, I don't even know that person. I'm going to go up and talk to them and I will seem strange to them and they'll be offended. And the Lord would just tell me, trust me, depend upon me, step out in this moment. After a while of wrestling with it, I would go talk to people about Jesus and tell them that God had sent me to them to pray for them. And their tears would begin to stream down their face and they would say, I am in the darkest trial of my life, even thinking about suicide. I don't know what to do anymore. And I would have the opportunity to pray for people and to lead them to Jesus and see gross darkness broken off of them. It amazed me that as I depended upon God, He would lead me into moments to see the greatest things happen for other people, but it didn't end there. After a while it was, I want you to go to a city. I want you to go to a country. I want you to go and step into things that you have no familiarity with and you will have no one but me to depend upon if you would go be my witness. God wants us to depend upon him to share Jesus with others. May we learn how to have a belief in God that has a true dependency that does not falter, falling back to our own ways, our own means, and our own minds putting our own heart and our own humanity back on the throne as God. May we stay surrendered before the Lord and learn true dependence upon Him so that the world can see there is a God in our lives. Amen.